Africans. I'm Erica, an editor at Hood Communist. I want to welcome you to Hood Communist Political Education. Twice a month, editors of the blog get together on our Telegram channel and hold discussions based on articles we've published or current events with our readers and subscribers. Because Hood Communist encourages mass organizing and political education, we've decided to share these recorded sessions with you and anybody trying to listen. So thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you learn something. And I hope that what you learn encourages you to join an organization fighting for the liberation of our people. With all that said, let's get into it. All right. Um, so, hello, everybody. Welcome to um, another bi-weekly uh, Hood Communist Telegram chat. So excited to see everybody here um, as we get ready for our conversation tonight. Um, tonight, we are going to be talking about the COVID-19 pandemic that is ongoing, that is continuing to ravage the United States and the rest of the world. Um, but before we do that, uh, we'll introduce ourselves to you all first. So I'm Salifu, um, I'm an editor at Hood Communist, also a member of the All African People's Revolutionary Party and the Black Alliance for Peace, as well as the Low Country Action Committee. And I'll hand it off to another editor to introduce themselves. Greetings, this is Onya Sanwu, organizer with the All African People's Revolutionary Party and the All African Women's Revolutionary Union, also an editor with Hood Communist. Hello, everybody. Ajamu here, All African People's Revolutionary Party and Hood Communist Editor. Peace, Africans. This is Ricky or Erica, um, BAT member, Yeshiva People's Progress Party member, Hood Communist co-editor. Thanks, y'all. It's always a club in the background wherever, wherever Erica at. Um, so like I said, uh, tonight we're talking about the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, we chose this topic because 2021 is almost over, y'all. Um, and I don't know if y'all remember, but it feels like just the other day that we were like, oh, you know, people were like, oh, you know, it, it'll be over in like two weeks. Like, like it won't last that long. Um, and in, since that time, I think the entire world has sort of had like a rude awakening. Uh, well, I'll say the entire unconscious world has had like a rude awakening about what the, um, the reality of this pandemic really is. And uh, we want to have this conversation to sort of uh, reemphasize that so much of the way we've suffered under this pandemic, really all of the way we've suffered under this pandemic um, has been completely unreasonable. Um, and has been, and it has been the way that it's been because of a ruling class that is interested in generating profits and not interested at all in protecting human lives. Um, and so just to reflect a little bit, um, right, because remember, we were supposed to vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris last year because they were the people who had the plan for handling the pandemic, even though if you were paying attention, they were making it perfectly clear that they had no plan. There was never any plan promised. So I don't know where the, the confusion came from. I, the, obviously, we know that these were lies that were sold to us um, on, behalf, on behalf of the benefactors that support that that faction of the ruling class, right? And there was this illusion created that you know, Donald Trump is completely fumbling this uh, pandemic response, which he was, but we must vote for Biden-Harris because they're the ones who are going to turn this around. And Joe Biden has a plan for this. And like I said, if we were paying attention, he had absolutely no plan. So what were some of the failures of that non-plan 
one of the things that uh, Hood Communist has uh, harped on repeatedly is the disappearance of contact tracing. Overnight, we saw contact tracing in the U.S. disappear completely. It was like one minute it was available for people who were deemed valuable enough to have it. And then all of a sudden, it was not available for anyone. And contact tracing is a very huge part if you if you understand sort of how epidemics or pandemics, um, viruses, vi the virology, any of these things work. Contact tracing is incredibly important because it's important to be able to trace the presence of the virus in order to quarantine people who might potentially be exposed to the virus. But we kind of gave up on that. And the question you might ask is, why did we just give up on contact tracing? Well, it wasn't that we just gave up on contact tracing. It's that we were propagandized into um, completely abandoning an agenda for public health infrastructure overall, right? Remember that period of time where we were talking about things, not just contact tracing, but stimulus checks? so that people could stay home because that was like a very important part of being able to get the virus under control. We were, we were also um, advocating for these things so that we could keep our children at home and not have to force them back um, into schools. Remember when we were talking about universal healthcare as like a thing and people were like, well, yeah, you gotta vote for Biden if you want it because you're never gonna get it under Trump. So then we like went along with that too. Um, but then something happened at the beginning of the year that completely pushed those conversations off the table. And it was the introduction of vaccine discourse in the United States, right? So we went from, because I remember people were kind of fired up about it too. It was like, oh, we need stimulus checks. It was like, we were talking about it every day. And then the first vaccine got announced and the, the discourse immediately made like a sharp turn from these are all these public safety things that we need, all these public health things that we need to ensure the survival, to ensure our survival to everybody shut up and get the vaccine. Don't worry about what's in the vaccine if you eat at KFC. And if you ate chicken nuggets from McDonald's yesterday, then you shouldn't be asking no questions about what's in the vaccine, right? And so we had this vaccine discourse that's coming right behind months of confusion about masks. First, they're telling us, nobody should go get masks and then they're like everybody needs to go get masks which led to mass panic to get the mask then they're like here's a vaccine that we created and also johnson and johnson is in the ring to profit off of this thing so then we had all this confusion from one side of the vaccine discourse which was based on bad readings of science obviously bad faith readings of science but then we had uh equally reactionary response uh that somewhat um blamed and wanted to punish almost colonized communities for their mistrust in the vaccine. Um, people's questions were being shot down left and right, which also led to um, reactionary reporting on vaccines as well, which is something that's a little bit uh, under, under discussed in my opinion as well. So what ended up happening was more people died, lots of people died. A lot of people died in the United States. Um, I don't think that we are quite even ready to reckon with the amount of death that we experienced over the past two years in the United States, not just even around the world, but in the United States, right? People lost homes. Um, people lost jobs. People lost whatever financial stability they thought that they had. People lost their sanity. Um, and the state was able to get away with this, has been able to get away with, largely been able to get away with this. Um, and I think that one of the things that is really scary is when you compare the response in the United States to the COVID-19 pandemic to the response from uh, what we will consider poorer socialist countries. These countries have demonstrated and modeled almost exactly what uh, proper handling of the of a pandemic looks like. These are countries that maintain contact tracing. These are countries that organize their economies around um, around their workforce to ensure that people could stay home, to ensure that children weren't forced back into schools. And when I say 
socialist countries, I'm not talking about the Nordic models. I'm talking about countries like Cuba. I'm talking about countries like China. I'm talking about countries like Vietnam, right? And so that's, that's uh, I'm going to pass it over to Onye to talk about sort of our reaction to the, to the mishandling of the uh, Biden administration um, during the pandemic. Thanks, Sally Fu. So when it came to the response of the U.S. left to the COVID-19 pandemic, there was certainly like a lot of um, organizing around mutual aid that I think my comrade Eric is going to speak to um, that did support people like here in Tijuana Territory and Albuquerque, New Mexico. A mutual aid program was initiated that has gone on to feed like tens of thousands of families that is coordinated by uh, a number of social justice organizations in Tijuana Territory. So like that's positive. But in terms of like the overall thrust of the left's response, what we saw was just like repeated tailing of the ruling class from the left and from the right. And what I mean by that is that the US ruling class, as soon as COVID-19 hit, immediately moved to individualize the problem. To say that if you get sick, it's because you don't wanna wear a mask or it's because you don't wanna get a vaccine. Um, and we took up uh, overwhelmingly that individualist line, that uh, covering for serious, systemic failures by pointing to individuals and being like, this is your fault. Another example of what I'm talking about is the less response to lockdowns and vaccines. When COVID-19 was first emerging and it was unclear how serious it was going to be, but people were like immediately dying, there was a segment of the US left that like questioned the need for lockdowns. And you know, people are right to be skeptical when a capitalist nation is like, we need you to stay in the house and we're not gonna help you do that. Like that's absolutely correct. But when nations like Cuba and China and Venezuela and Vietnam started being like, oh, this is actually really serious. Like we're gonna lock down, we're gonna pay people to stay home. Like that should have been the point where we were like, this is, this is dangerous, like we have to respond. But instead what we saw was folks kind of like conspiracy theorying about how this was actually like a ruling class power grab to consolidate power, which again, I understand because we live in a capitalist empire, the government is not benevolent. And so I understand why that skepticism emerged, but what it actually ended up doing was downplaying the, the danger that we found ourselves in, downplaying particularly the danger that African and colonized and poor and working class people were uh, facing from this virus. What should have happened instead of that ongoing skepticism to lockdowns was a movement that was organized to demand the kind of resources people needed to actually do those lockdowns. So like demanding, uh, uh, paying people to stay home, demanding nationalized healthcare, rather than attacking the concepts of lockdowns in and of themselves when they were actually necessary. The other part is with these vaccines, with these vaccines. Um, like there's a lot of opposition to this day to the idea of vaccine mandates on principle, which to me is absurd. In a future socialist United States under indigenous control, there would almost certainly be vaccine mandates. In places like Cuba, in places like China, in socialist and anti-imperialist nations, we have seen vaccine mandates. It's a public health issue for an extremely contagious virus. I again understand why people were skeptical about the US government being the entity um, that calls for these mandates. But again, it's like ignoring the fact that this the material reality is COVID-19 is a deadly virus that was disproportionately impacting African and colonized people. But then on the other token of the, the response to the vaccine, the left failed response to the vaccine in the United States is that some people have tailed the ruling class in treating the vaccine as like a magic bullet. Biden came in, committed to do, you know, I think it was like five or 10 million vaccinations um, within the first or so months. And immediately the discourse pivoted from um, lockdown, wear your mask to get the shot or you're a piece of shit. And what we saw the left doing is like tailing that individualist analysis, tailing the analysis of the so-called uh, pandemic of the unvaccinated, uh, making people who were vaccine hesitant for very, very valid reasons, particularly in the case of African and colonized people, instead demonizing those folks and attacking those folks. And what that allowed the ruling class to do was to say, oh, it's not the fact that we don't have healthy, that we're not providing you health care. It's not the fact that all of these uh, meager protections have expired and now we're trying to get a shot in your arm to push you back to work. No, 
y'all are just not doing this right. And this is the only reason why the pandemic is continuing. The left made a serious mistake in telling the ruling class in that demonization of people who were skeptical about the vaccine, because every single one of us could be vaccinated and COVID-19 would still be a problem. Every single one of us could be vaccinated and we'd still have to figure out how to address people getting this virus and getting sick and having to be hospitalized without healthcare. What the left needed to do in the United Snakes was organize on a mass basis to demand an actual coherent public health response, demand the extensions of the safety net programs, the eviction moratoriums, demand rent freezes, demand national healthcare. Like all of these things were in our grasp of demand. The contradictions were clear to the masses of the people. People were becoming radicalized by the failed pandemic response. And what the left ended up doing turn after turn after turn was tailing the U.S. ruling class in these failed strategies that absolved them of their failures. Was Erica going to add something? Oh, yeah. I didn't know if you were going to, like, shoot me in or, <laughs> or what. But I, I think to... Ongi's point and even uh, Salifu's, when we discussed about what it has looked like, um, even when we talk about in comparison to Trump, right, and all the criticisms that Trump received, in the beginning of this year, um, we were told that we no longer needed to wear masks to be indoors. Um, so that was fine. Uh, but when it was unheard of, you know, to even say such a thing when Trump was in was president and his administration was running things. So I think it's really, really important to understand how um, these things are being played out. I think even Joy Reid herself had said um, when she was challenged by Nicki Minaj, of all people, um, about the change in her stance, um, acknowledged the politicizing of the vaccine and the, to, the politicizing of COVID. So even that acknowledgement would make one, you know, it should make one understand why folks are skeptical because the vaccine and the and COVID is being politicized. Currently, there's over 800,000 deaths that are being attributed to COVID. There are over 50 million cases of COVID um, just in the U.S. alone. And there is no concern or consideration for any sort of public health policies that would cut back or eliminate the rise, at least, um, in, in the spread of COVID. Um, instead, the Biden administration is adamant in reminding folks that they are not going to lock down. So everything is wide open. And their central point is, you know, get the vaccine or die that's that's basically it and and the language of the the um the pandemic of the unvaccinated and how that's carried through um how that's sort of a top-down language like it came straight from the biden administration and then you see more and more people begin to repeat it um as some incentive for people to go and get it right so we're attributing all of these cases and all of these deaths to just mainly the unvaccinated as there are no public health policies that are lock in step with how we should be handling this as Salifu pointed out that you can see happening in Venezuela that you can see happening in Cuba that you can see happening in, in Vietnam that you can see happening in China that you can see happening in many nations on the African continent people understand that it's not just vaccines alone that will curve the spread of this pandemic. We are still in a pandemic. And with and as we see that the Biden administration is playing towards corporations while we're fighting for another $600, you know, all these corporations are getting subsidized. We're seeing headlines that everybody is becoming millionaires and, may, and we're, we're possibly even reaching trillionaire status for the amount of money that corporations and CEOs have made off of our suffering as working class and, and uh, workers across the country are striking. So that's really what we can expect as we're approaching into 2022. Um, obviously, these numbers don't pan out good for the Biden administration, but they still are um, 
still are beholden to to their corporate sponsors. They still are beholden to the ruling class. And most of the administration is a part of the ruling class. They are getting rich off of this as well. But I say that to say that if we understand these dynamics clearly, then we have to really start to begin to maybe advance beyond what we're doing with mutual aid. Um, because mutual aid is technically supposed to be a survivor's program, so to speak, right? It's supposed to help our material, assist us in, in navigating our material conditions as is. But I don't think these are long-standing programs or can be without some sort of institutions, um, institution building. And I think that that's where the focus should be, where organizers should be focusing as we prepare. Because as we look at the dynamics, as we look at what's happening in the workforce and the labor force, as we look at what's happening with evictions, as we look at, at it all in a broader aspect, that mutual aid, um, our GoFundMes, our Cash App, you know, our, giving, our Give Back Tuesdays, these things are not going to sustain us. So, you know, so I just wanted to throw that to folks to think about. And I wanted to um, uh, speak to this question of, you know, what we can expect from the ruling capitalist class, right, um, going forward. It, because we know that the capitalist class, they never, ever, ever, ever admit any wrongdoing. They never do that. So what they will do is anything, whatever way this goes, like if, if we continue to see um, these variants come and, and create you know, additional problems with how to maintain and, and control the spread of the virus, then I think we can expect the, the multinational capitalist corporations to continue to promote the concept that the solution comes through them, through continued booster shots, uh, you know, higher level of medication or something that um, always ends with them having a product for sale that will ultimately you know, be the solution to this. And if that doesn't work, then another thing that they will do is what they also do best is gaslight. Um, they'll continue to uh, point the finger at uh, folks, everyday folks, working folks, and blame us for you know, the failures of this system to function properly. Like um, I mentioned, uh, I've been mentioning that um, I had a, my my car was hit and it was in the shop it was just a minor it was fender bender but it was it was it was in the shop for six weeks because of the back order on parts and you know every if you look at any industry any industry in this capitalist system is experiencing those types of uh impacts in terms of backlog but nobody's talking about why it's happening and there are many reasons why it's happening um one of the fundamental reasons is that people have just come to realize um, backing into it, not through any planned effort, not through any organized effort, but just by backing into it, people have come to realize that as workers, they do have some power. And so, you know, you're finding people are no longer willing, there's been this rise in consciousness since the pandemic, people are no longer willing to, in a lot of instances, just work for nothing and, and be just totally exploited with nothing, absolutely nothing to show for it. And so these companies are finding it so much harder to find people to perform these tasks. Most of these uh, shipyards, like here, where I live in California, you have Benicia in the Bay, which is one of the main, sh it's the main shipping port in the West Coast. And they're having a really hard time getting enough people there to unload the ships. And that's you know one of the primary reasons why these delays and parts and all these things are happening. But the system will never, say well the reason why this is happening is because we've been brutally exploiting the workers and they no longer want to tolerate that they've developed this consciousness that they don't want to do that instead they're going to say well the problem is that people don't want to work and i'm sure you hear that all the time you know people don't want to work you know they, they want to hand out they want this they want that so that's what i mean by gaslighting they'll continue to do that and then another example of how they'll gaslight is really like what's happening with china right now um there's a concerted effort, there's a concerted propaganda effort by this capitalist system here to gaslight China 
and to uh, create this image of China as a country that, you know, is a threat to the world. And they, you know, they really uh, built that foundation with that, with the racist uh, narratives about the China virus that were happening last year around this time. And then now that's, that seems to have evolved into, since they built that foundation, you know, people are like, yeah, that's that country, they can't be trusted. You know, they didn't tell us what happened um, uh, uh, with the virus being released. So now that's evolved into <clears throat> this thing of, well, you know, they're just violating human rights and they're just a, a, a dictatorship of oppression. And we have to help those poor people over there. And, you know, like we've said many times and we continue to say, you know, we don't study anything, so we don't know. And I don't care if you think, you know, if you don't study it, you don't know. You just think you you know. So when they say, if you don't study about China and they say, well, China's uh, stampeding on the human rights of people in Hong Kong and you haven't studied the history of China, somewhere inside you, you have no choice except to believe a part of that or at least not to question a part of it. And whereas if you study it, you would know that Hong Kong is a part of China. Taiwan is a part of China. Uh, Tibet is a part of China. These are all portions of China that were stolen from China at various points in history. And what they, the British colonized Hong Kong and that's how it was stolen from China. And the British have maintained control over Hong Kong for quite some time now. And their rule in Hong Kong is about to come to an end. And when that happens, Hong Kong is supposed to be returned to mainland China. And the people in Hong Kong who are representative of, you know, the capitalist infrastructure, they obviously don't want that to happen. So the gaslighting using the COVID epidemic is a part of that process to desensitize people and to justify, you know, this brutal attack against the Chinese people. So I think that's, you know, those are some of the things that we can expect from the ruling class. If they're, they're not going to take any responsibility. They're going to continue to deflect away from the inadequacy of this system, like some of the comrades spoke of. Socialist Cuba, you know, they not just with COVID, but if you go back to all the hurricanes, like Hurricane Katrina, for example, in 2005, they had um, they they got much more of the eye of that hurricane than the U.S. But they only had five people killed, and the reason why is that a socialist economy is organized around planning to take care of people. So they had a they had a plan in place for evacuations, for food and supplies and what to do in the event this happened. Whereas this economy here is based on profit. It has no no element of it that's designed to protect people or public health or any of that. So that's why none of that stuff happens. So you know they will they will continue to gas like that and make it seem like the problems here are not because they don't have a plan, but because there's something wrong with you and me. And then they will continue to use it as in a, a vehicle to further gaslight China and other socialist countries that really, as was said earlier, provide a beacon for us on how these types of things should be properly addressed. Um, can Thanks. I just quickly Go ahead, add, Olivia. sorry. Um, so the context in which we're having this conversation, I just wanted to quickly speak to. Um, it was recently announced that the U.S. has now surpassed um, 800,000 people dead from coronavirus in just two and a half years. The number is almost certainly higher because, as Sally Fu opened the discussion with, there has never been any point within the United Snakes where this pandemic was under control, where they were effectively tracking infections. So it's certainly more, almost certainly more than 800,000 people dead from this virus, again, in a just little, a little over two years. Um, the second thing, the second part of the context we need to understand is that the, the emergence of new variants that are being driven by the fact that imperialist nations are hoarding access to vaccines, the vaccine formulas are privatized, making them inaccessible and unaffordable to many global South nations who would otherwise manufacture their own. Um, Cuba and China are stepping up, Russia is stepping up to address that, but that's still a serious issue, um, creating a situation where variants are able to develop in unvaccinated populations. And these new variants are increasingly 
um, the vaccines are in, increasingly ineffective against these new variants. Like for example, Omicron, if you have two COVID-19 shots, which we were all told was fine, um, it's not effective against preventing infection of Omicron. And what the ruling class is trying to say is that we just have to accept this, that we just have to accept that everybody's gonna get COVID and it's just like a part of life now and so on and so forth. But what they're not saying is that people are still going to die. They're not saying that you can get like a so-called mild case of COVID and still have like long-term serious complications from that. Like people are referring to the COVID-19 pandemic as a mass disabling event because of the consequences of what's called long COVID. So we are not out of the woods. We're not even close to out of the woods. And the last thing I wanna say is that it's really important to understand that a very strong theory for how COVID-19 emerged is because of capitalist destruction of the environment, destroying ecosystems, exposing pathogens that humans have no immunity to. This happened with swine flu. This happened with avian flu. And what that tells you is it's going to happen again because capitalist destruction of the environment is not slowing down. It means there's going to be more pandemics. And now having this experience this together, we know precisely what the ruling class is going to do. They're going to let us die. And they're going to figure out how to like get blood from a stone, how to get as many people back to work as possible, even in conditions that are literally deadly. So I just wanted to add that. Can I just, before we we segue, I, I do want to know, to your point about the vaccines, like there is a vaccination apartheid happening. It's not only um, is the U.S. not sharing vaccines, but they're making it very difficult for people who are, do access other vaccines um, to travel um, because they are only assessing or recognizing their own. Um, so if it's not Pfizer, if it's not Moderna, um, it's pretty difficult for people to move around. And because of that fear, they've been able to sort of monopolize um, their vaccine usage or dis discredit the use of others. All amazing points, y'all. Thank y'all so much. Um, I want to open it up. I've been sure they did this, but I want to open it up to people who have um, thoughts, questions, concerns. You want to share your experiences with the COVID pandemic this year, um, your predictions uh, for next year, or any lessons that you've learned um, in your organizing around the pandemic. All, all those thoughts and, and questions are welcome at this moment. In order to speak, you can like raise your hand type thing. And then I think I will just like tap and give you permission to, to ask a question or to make a comment. All right, Preshi, I think I just gave you permission. So you should be able to tap the mic and speak. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you all um, for opening up uh, this discussion and um, opening it up for anyone who's joined it to add or subtract or something. Um, I am a healthcare professional, um, 15 years plus. I worked front lines um, in COVID testing. I live in San Francisco now. I worked for a very elite university in the area here, Bay Area, San Francisco, during the COVID testing and vaccine allocation programs. And with all of the information that I have as a healthcare professional and having worked closely in the thick of the pandemic with all of the things you all have already discussed, the disorganization, disorientation of an effective public health response, an economic response according to the public health response, the manipulation of language, even the use of the word lockdown um, is interesting to me as opposed to quarantine or self-quarantine. So all of the uh, factors were set for us to be obviously emotionally charged responding or reacting and panicked. With that, 
I still remain one of these people who has not elected to participate in the vaccination program just yet. And I know that's controversial, but I do absolutely respect anybody's individual medical decision for their protection. I continue to employ the least invasive measures for now until we know a little bit more about findings, outcomes. You've spoken about variants. You've spoken about vaccinated versus unvaccinated, our risks. Um, and I just want to thank you all. And I, I think I want to ask a question, being that I live in San Francisco, to the group and something that has been really challenging and disheartening for me. Um, again, I'm a healthcare professional who's unvaccinated, so that might indicate that I am currently not working because of the vaccine mandates. And I just am wondering what the, what the group is feeling about the creation of a not preferred class of people who do in fact remain unvaccinated, but do not all belong to the same stereotypical propaganda-based profile in remaining unvaccinated. How are people managing the privileges of vaccination, the punishments of being unvaccinated and, and, and so on? Thank you. I can yeah. answer that. Oh, okay. You wanna go? Yes. Um, so I feel like the vaccine mandates in the United States are unfolding the same way the 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 orders to, to self-quarantine were, meaning that they were like, okay, work it out. And then some people were like, wait, if I miss work, I can't pay my rent. How can I do this? And it was like the most oppressed segment of the working class. In the same way, the vaccine mandates in the United States were doomed to fail because there is deep mistrust of the health infrastructure in this country for very, very, very good reason. That's why it was such a serious mistake for the US left to tailor the ruling class and treating the vaccine as a magic bullet because people have legitimate reasons for not trusting any kind of shot coming from this government. And until those reasons are addressed, you're never gonna get full vaccination in the United States. And so like in a context like that, to then turn around and say, if you don't trust us and get this shot, you lose your job, makes absolutely no sense. If we again look to the model of socialist Cuba and their public health response to the pandemic, long before vaccines were even in existence, Cuba was sending doctors door to door in every single neighborhood, explaining to people what COVID-19 was, how to catch it, what to do if you, or how to prevent catching it, what to do if you do catch it, like explaining the basics of the situation. Here in the United States, everybody from the CDC to the president was just handing out straight up misinformation. And so now we're at a point where people are confused and distrustful and being punished for that. Like it absolutely. absolutely makes sense. It absolutely makes sense that people are that don't want that shot because the U.S. has a history of like experimenting on people. Um, they I was recently reading about how the CIA organized a fake vaccination campaign in Pakistan to get blood samples from people so they could find Osama bin Laden, and they like gave people like half doses of vaccines and then left. And now people in Pakistan are extremely anti-vax because of that experience. Like it's that kind of thing where they created the atmosphere of mistrust and then they're punishing people for not trusting them. The problem is systemic and structural within the United States. So I do not blame people for being against vaccine mandates here. I don't blame people for being vaccine hesitant because they have every reason to be. I appreciate that response. Thank you. And, and if I can just kind of add a little bit more to uh, the, again, the use of language and how quickly we co-opt um, and integrate the words that are, that are offered to us, right? As, as, sources of intelligence or information or information content rather. Um, the vaccine allocation program has and was implemented under the emergency use authorization of our public health administrators at the federal level. What that means is that we can't possibly know how every individual person, we can't predict, um, we haven't actually gathered enough data um, across a large enough sample of people, and we may not actually be 
collecting data um, in a way that is ready to be presented to the public in like immediate time because um, we've now um, become so used to needing an answer and getting it and then feeling satisfied that that's sufficient. When you're being given a medication under an emergency use authorization, you actually sign an attestation, not necessarily a document of consent. And what that means is that you are knowingly and willingly participating in an emergency use data collection program. And there's nothing wrong with that if you feel that vaccination is another layer of protection. But I think there's just enough that we don't know that the words vaccine hesitant or anti-vax as applied to people who continue to remain unvaccinated for their various reasons and then choose to protect themselves in the ways that they feel confident having made it this far. I think sometimes it's really, um, it's really important to pay attention to the fact that if it makes sense for people to need more time, people need more time, even if none of the other things that have happened in this country or have been perpetrated on other countries through our federal institutions, even if those things were not true at all. Um, it's really important to still try to honor people's medical individual decision-making. I, I just wanted to add really quick to what you're saying and your question about vaccines, because I live in Sacramento and I work for the labor union that represents state workers in the state of California, 400,000 state workers. And so just recently what we've seen, you know, the state of California, um, and, and if you, you know, study his, historically, whatever the state of California does, the rest of the country usually follows right along. So the state of California has just instituted a vaccine mandate um, for state workers here. And yes, we've, just seen, we've just seen in the last two weeks that they've started to issue adverse action notices, which are notices saying that you're going to be terminated unless you can show proof of vaccination. Now, one thing that's interesting that has happened is that in Georgia last week, a U.S. district court ruled that vaccination mandates are illegal or unconstitutional rather. Yes, and so you know, when that happens, that sort of puts a pause on it. And a lot of the state departments here in California are pausing on implementing uh, these, you know, adverse actions, firing people because they're not vaccinated. And I just wanted to bring that up because I think that there's a very important point there that most people, I don't know if they'll see it, is that the only reason why that happened in Georgia is because of all of these people who are resisting um, getting vaccinated. And I think that um, um, that's, uh, you, you know, and, and I understand like there are all types of people who are doing it. There are colonized people who just don't trust anything capitalism says, rightfully so. They're right-wing entitled, you know, white supremacist-minded people who just don't want to ever be told what to do. They're not all the same, but as Kwame Ture told us in the 90s, as the white right fights back against the government, and we're already fighting back against the government, that creates the possibility, that makes the possibility of change that much easier. So whatever the reasons why people are not getting vaccinated, the fact that so many people are doing that has created this, this whirlwind that I think people need to, you know, it cannot, it's not something that's gonna play out positively with people just doing it on an individual level. It's gonna have to be something if it's gonna build into something that can begin to really mean, you know, protecting people's rights to work and doing these types of things and, and creating a real plan to address these problems instead of gaslighting and scapegoating, it's gonna have to take you know, some level of organization of all of these forces. And I think if that happens, this is an opportune time to really put pressure on this society to push forward in a positive direction. I appreciate that so much. Thank you. Erica, did you still have something that you wanted to add? No, I think everybody, everybody touched up on what I was going to mention. Thank you, Miss Erica. 
Thank you, Preshy P. Uh, we appreciate you stepping up to the mic. If anybody else has anything um, that they want to add, feel free to to raise your hand and and let us know. I really appreciate um, the 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 feedback and the responses that kind of came back and forth in that in that portion of the conversation. One of the things that continuously is is coming to mind for me is just the models that exist um, in other places throughout the world that tell us that there's like a, another way to handle this, like another way to approach this. I think that some of the the numbers and the statistics that um, Onye laid out for us before that conversation got started just now are are real things that should feel urgent to us, right? I feel like one of the uh, one, one of the intended side effects of the Biden presidency has been that we've we've especially if you've had if you've organized at all this year, you know the promise was that the Biden presidency was going to create better conditions for us to be able to organize under. Everybody was telling us that, even people that some of us admire were saying that to us. Um, and I can say with all honesty that this is, has this has been a very difficult year um to organize <laughs> to organize under and i'm i'm <clears throat> i'm always honest so i'm gonna take it even as far as to say this first year under biden for me personally has been um a lot more difficult <laughs> than it was when um when trump was in office not that like that's my boy or nothing but it's just that there was a level of consciousness i think about our reality that existed um, that that made people at least pretend that they were interested in resolving some of the contradictions that exist in society that doesn't really exist anymore. But I don't think that we can afford to rest our our own our um, collective sense of urgency based on you know who drops out of the fight or who isn't showing up for the fight as it should because we are facing a very dire a very dire situation. We're walking into two thousand twenty two. Which will be become the third year of this um pandemic, and I'm sure that all of us either know or know somebody who knows somebody that's passed away from this from this virus at this point. I'm actually I'm going to stop it at some. All of us know somebody who's passed away from from the virus or is living with the long term consequences of the virus, and so I'm thinking about all these countries that have showed us that there's like a different way to do it, and also how badly. We, how badly we need to start building the institutions to make that possible. I would just say that the 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 crisis we're facing is a crisis of public health. It's not about um, you know not enough people getting vaccinated or people making the wrong individual decisions. It's about a structural hate failure of public health in the United States, which is a direct consequence of the capitalist system. And so, just exhorting people to refuse to tell the ruling class and like individualizing the problem and said hyper focus on the failures of these structures, hyper focus on the failures of capitalism and make people understand why these failures are endemic to capitalism itself. Because right now what's happening is that there's like finger pointing, there's division, there's just like this focus on blaming each other and like the ruling class is literally getting away with murder and also getting trillions of dollars in profit on top of it. So point the finger in the right direction is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I just want to reiterate, it's very important to punch up. It's very important for us to start building institutions to address what's coming in the future. Um, and that's it. Perfect. Well, then with that said, just want to remind you guys that it is Hood Communist Thursday. We have four new articles up on the site, one by Ajamu. Um, that is all about anti-intellectualism uh, anti, anti and why we need to challenge this notion that is sort of going around that like, we don't need to read. Um, we saw a take recently that was like, you don't need to read, like imagine the Haitians during the Haitian revolution telling them they had to read to free themselves, like all kinds of insane psychotic takes to position people against um, reading and knowledge sharing and, and gaining information. So y'all should read that. There's a piece on the site about TikTok and anti-social media and really questioning, asking us to question our ethics around digital consumption. I really needed that. Erica has a fantastic piece on the site, breaking down imperialism and reminding us that it is the primary contradiction um, that we should be struggling against. 
um, because imperialism, while it is, yes, an expression of capitalism abroad, it does have domestic effects and these things are related. And then we have a piece on the no more, um, the no more movement uh, between Ethiopia and Eritrea and really the horn in general that sort of challenges some of the things that the left has gotten wrong about no more, but also um, giving, offering us some solutions in terms of how we as people living in the global north should think and talk about Eritrea and Ethiopia and their relationship to each other. With that said, it's we're at time. I appreciate everybody coming out tonight. Um, y'all stay safe. Uh, I don't know if, if, if it's really cool where y'all at. Uh, fortunately for me in South Carolina, it's not really that cold, so I've been kind of chilling, but everybody stay safe, take care of yourselves, and we look forward to seeing y'all one more time before 2021 ends. Peace. Forever. Peace, Africans. Peace, y'all. That's a wrap for this week, but be sure to go check out the blog, hoodcommunist.org. We always got new articles on there every Thursday. Good shit, revolutionary shit. Go read that. Take that in. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at hoodcommunist. We got kicked off Twitter for telling the truth, but we still kicking, talking our shit on Instagram. So go follow us and stay up to date with what we got going on. And lastly, if you enjoy what you heard today, if you enjoy what you see on the blog, be sure to share this with your people. Be sure to share it with somebody who you think might appreciate it. You know what I'm saying? Everything we do, we do it because we believe in the potential to transform society and we believe in revolution. So like I said, share that. And lastly, we always encourage our people to join organizations that are fighting for justice, that are fighting for liberation. If we could solve the problems in our society as individuals, we would have did that a long time ago. So yeah, take care of yourselves, man, and we'll see y'all next time. Peace.